You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everybody, welcome back to Here for the Truth, episode 69. And once again, we have an incredible guest for you. Today, it's such a pleasure to host Xavier Dagbar. Xavier is a trauma-informed, transformational life coach, shadow work facilitator, intuitive healer, and EFT practitioner. He loves to think of himself as an emotional alchemist. It's his firm belief that personal freedom can only be achieved when we allow ourselves to welcome the wisdom hidden within every emotional state, good or bad. Xavier's own transformational journey brought him to dive into the universe of shadow work, and he tends to think that only when you are willing to integrate your shadows can you fully claim your power. He feels alive most when he helps people shed their limitations, heal, claim their power, live a life of purpose, and tap into their full potential. Xavier, thank you for being here for the truth. Well, my ultimate pleasure. You know, it's an honor to just be here to to to, to co-create with you. And I really just want to say thank you to every single person that's going to be listening to this because um, it is clear to me that they are co-creating this with us. You know, it's not just the three of us right here um, creating this conversation. So it goes way beyond that. So I want to say thank you to you um, for having me here and to all the listeners. Thank you for co-creating it in real time, whatever that now moment is. Thank you. Hmm. Love it. Beautifully said, man. You tapped into it a little bit there in the bio, but I'd love to dive deeper into what that transformational journey was for you. Some of your early, early rites of passages and some of the major things that you really went through that allowed you to be the person that you are here in front of us now. So, you know, my journey is um, sometimes I look back and I would, parts of me would say it's, it looks boring right now. Um, but what happened for me is I, I was born and raised in Cameroon. It's a country in Central Africa. Mm-hmm. And up until the, ed- the age of 24, I was living there. And um, for a long time, I was the archetype of the golden child trying to, you know, to behave well, to go to school, having the best grades I could get, which I did. Yeah. Um, initially got my bachelor's degree in mathematics. Um, I trained to be a mathematics teacher in a, you know, in high school. And then I changed my mind, you know, got my master's degree in mathematics um, as well. And then I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, got another master's in statistics and economy in economics. And I got a, you know, scholarship to come to Canada to, to, you know, to go after a PhD in economics. And I came to Canada. It was around 2013, um, 2012, 2013. There was such a big misalignment when I started diving into the world of like big money and how things work, you know, in there that a part of me was like, I cannot possibly teach um, a whole bunch of the things that I'm learning. And um, because there was just such a big rift, it's like there, there was such a big rift between what people were trying to create in research and what was actually applied out there. Such a big rift. And I was like, I'm not participating in the, this whole thing. So I dropped out. And we're talking about 2013 around these years. So 
um, when I drop out, it's really just this journey of like the redefining myself mm. and dropping out for me, you know, where I come from, it was one of the most stupid decision possible for my family, my friends. Um, it's like this, here is a guy that literally got a full paid scholarship. Like I didn't need to work for anything. I had, you know, um, enough money to pay for school and for my own expenses. And I decided to drop that big opportunity. So I did. It was just a whole bunch of ab abandonment, betrayal, and, you know, that my parents felt, friends felt, they were just like, this guy has lost his mind. And through that, I was already very invested in like, um, you know, spiritual material, like the Tao Te Ching and things like this Buddhist um, text. And, you know, the, the teachers, my early teachers of that time, Wayne Dyer and, you know, all these people that I was, I was reading, that was my lifeline, mm -hmm. you know, all these years, starting in probably 20, 2008, I was just like consuming all of this spiritual material. And at that point, you were just like, you know what? There is something more here, and I don't know what that is, but there is something more. And I'm going to go through the, the, the excruciating journey of finding out what that is. So it's really diving into this, like really stepping into the unknown that started 2013, 2014. So that's what it looks like. That's what the early stages of taking this new redirection um look like for me and you know um and if you'd like some more um clarity about a few defining moments there we can lean in there but this is where it started really yeah well first of all thank you for that and i was actually going to ask you uh when you did drop out what did your friends and family think about that because they have their expectations on on how you should live your life and maybe they've put you on a pedestal and they're like this is my son this is my friend and um why do you, I'd love for you to dive into why do you think that is the case, you know, from your point of view that where where people are so disappointed when they when you don't do what you they want you to do and what they expect of you to do. So I just love for you to chat about that a little bit. You know, something that I've seen a lot and in these kind of like situations, a lot of people experience the light through you. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna say that differently. A lot of people. And I'm going to take the first example, it's my, my parents. Um, I represented the dream of my mom. I represented the dream of my father. Not the dream for me, but the dream for themselves that they could not achieve. So there is, there is this kind of like experiencing their dream through me. Being in relationship with their own life through me. For a lot of people in my own case, I was... You know, I was experiencing what they were aspiring to. Mm -hmm. And they were also experiencing that through me. So through me, they were in a relation, they were in a relationship with an aspect of themselves. And that's how I chose to perceive it at the moment. Now we can dive into the nitty-gritty of like, yes, there are expectations that were there, um, hopes that were transferred um on me as well. There were a whole bunch of that. And also, this is me breaking the conditioning that was transferred onto me by my family of origin, the conditioning of, you know, that I shared with my friends back then, which is, hey, you try to, you're coming from a place that is not extremely fortunate, meaning, so 
every single opportunity that comes your way, you do the freaking best you can to squeeze the life out of it. And here's a guy that comes close to have one of the most brilliant opportunities and he drops it like this. What is wrong with you? So basically this is what was happening because the more you start opening the door of that conditioning, what is one mechanism that we often use to get each other to behave? Shaming. Mm. It's like, I'm going to shame you so that you behave. I'm going to project shame on you so that you can be like, hey, actually, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm going to readjust. Maybe I'm actually going to listen. But that stopped working for me at some point. It was just like, I cannot lean into this place where it feels like I'm betraying my soul anymore. It was really painful to me. So I was like, I'm going to drop out. So there was a lot of shaming. There was a lot of like, um, I lost 99% of my friends. Some of them tried, actually. They tried to keep going. And at some point, I remember friends telling me, I just don't know how to relate to you anymore. It's like some of the beliefs that you're embracing are scary to me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're speaking, it feels like it feels as if you are in some sort of like cult when you're talking about, you know, I grew up in this like very Christian, very, very Christian Catholic um, family. And most of my friends as well. So when I started even talking about meditation, started talking about, I don't know, feeling these moments of oneness, literally feeling in a meditation as if you're at one with things around you. They were just like, my friend, there was something really scary about you, what you're into. And a lot of, a few of them, some, those that were brave enough to actually have a conversation with me, which I will always cherish, those that were able to say, hey, you know what? I don't know how to relate to you anymore in this moment. I actually received that. And I was like, I understand. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I don't know how to relate to myself. Sometimes I'm looking at my journey. I'm just like, holy shit, where am I going? And um, that's pretty much part of what was happening back then. Yeah, man. Shame is definitely used as a control mechanism when you start drifting away from the herd, so to speak, you know? And I hear what you're saying, particularly when when you when you perhaps when you come from a place of scarcity, everything can seem like a blessing. Every opportunity is a blessing. Everything is better than where we are now, you know. Yeah. So then, but the, but then it, you come to the point where it's like, yeah, okay, sure, it's better than what I have now and where I am now. But is it actually aligned with my values on a deeper core level? And don't I still have that right as an individual to to, to use my yes or no according to according to what I value? And so many people, I think, are are trapped in this model of just assuming that if something comes along that's better than what they have now, then it has to be a yes, right? Otherwise, otherwise they're selfish, so to speak, for for rejecting that opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. And, And it's like you mentioned something that is really, really great here, which is what is the value system that am I conforming to? Yeah, Because for the longest time, I was actually doing the best I can. I, I started by saying I was trying to be the golden child. Yeah. I was really trying to behave, really trying to, um, you know, excel in the system of values that was, that, that was defined for me. And then at some point, I started challenging it. And I was like, why am I really good? Why am I really doing it? 
Like, why am I allowing myself to lean in there? So there's a there is a point in time where certain values start being renegotiated. Yeah. And these are the moments of expansion. Actually, these are the moments that some people find terrifying. But every single time I get there, I begin to ask myself, what are the values that I'm negotiating with right now? What are the values that are outdated? What are the new values that are that are here to be installed? And this is literally what happened for me. And there, there was really that journey of learning how to experience shame without abandoning myself, because this is what I would do at some point. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time when people don't know how to be present with shame, they abandon themselves. Or we try to project back that shame onto someone someone else. We try to attack. We try to, you know, to deflect and to attack. We 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 do the best we can not to be present with it. So going through that journey of really learning how to be not only with the shame, but also the anger that came, the grief that came, just feeling because on on my end as well, I was feeling some degree of betrayal. Meaning these are your ride or die kind of people mm-hmm. that are telling you that because of this choice that you made, they cannot be with you anymore. They cannot accept you anymore. You kind of like from now on, you are now cast and I'm living in this new country completely by myself. So there was just like this journey of learning how to be at peace with being alone. That was really 2014, 2015 were some of the most difficult years, even 2016, the difficult years ever. Um, so that that's part of the journey that I went through at that time. Man, I, I, I feel that all deeply, you know, and it's so difficult for for individuals to question that that value system that that has just been conditioned upon them whether it be through religion or family or whatnot, and they can spend their whole lives trying to adhere to this, to this value system, which they don't even really resonate with or align with. Um, you know. And I think particularly in obviously the last couple of years, many people would have experienced this in a very profound way you know, yeah. um, with, with what's been taking place. I know I myself was like uninvited from weddings of my best friends. Um, I was told that my kids can't visit their kids for certain reasons, which we're not going to get yeah. into on this particular conversation. But you know, you know where I'm going with this. Absolutely. So, from your perspective, like, how does someone really process those projections? Process that shame that's projected onto them, the anger they might be feeling, the 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 grief that comes up, because it can it can be so easy to just put up a wall of armor, you know, yeah. um, and not even go there. Yeah. You know, this is such a beautiful question. It is such a beautiful question. And there are many different ways that we could dive into this. The traditional path that is often taken in this kind of, you know, um, self-improvement field is you got to know what is yours and you got to know what is not yours. And sometimes I find this approach a tiny bit confusing, like know that this is them projecting their shame on you and all of the different things. And one could embrace that, but sometimes I find it very confusing. It's like, how can you actually fully tell that this is what you're experiencing is a projection or not? How can you truly tell that? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from me? Is it coming from the other? Sometimes when we dive into this, 
kind of like, where is it coming from? Is it mine? Is it theirs? Is it, we, we happen to get too much in here. Whereas in my opinion, we transmute shame through the body. Mm-hmm. We do not cognize our way out of shame. In my opinion, we transmute shame through the presence of the heart. And in my opinion, that applied targeted presence of the heart directed at the parts of us that are experiencing shame unleashes compassion. It unleashes powerfully compassion. And that compassion is not here to try to to see, is it shame that is coming from, is it maybe my mom that sent it to me or is it, you know, based on what my dad said to me, it doesn't really care. The heart just wants to know what part of me is burdened right now. Let me be with that part of me right now, period. Let me be with that part of me in this moment, period. And as I bring my heart openness and I hold the space, it's actually a sacred space in my opinion that the heart is holding around the parts of you that are feeling shame. So that the light of your soul, call it however you want, but the light of your soul can actually reach that depth within you. And that, in my opinion, heals. So how do you work through that? It's like really understanding there is nothing wrong with me, but there is a part of me that has internalized that there is something wrong with me. At the core, there is nothing wrong with me, but there is a, there is a, if you, if you start seeing yourself as an ecosystem of consciousness, we are holding so many different perspectives at once. You are not just that linear singular awareness. You are a collection of so many awarenesses. The, 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 the youngest part within you that are still imprinted with the patterns, with the beliefs of your father, your mother, or your caregivers, they are still there. Maybe they are not running the show anymore, but they may still be there somehow to a certain degree, because consciousness doesn't have an erased button. So the more you start relating to yourself as this big space where all of these awarenesses are colliding, and you really start sensing, wow, this has been projected onto me. And I am the, the one of the reasons why I'm, I'm feeling it this deeply is because there is an anchor. And that anchor is a part of me that is still strongly relating to what I am being shamed for or to what I am experiencing shame about. There is an anchor somehow within myself. And I do not need to play the game of like, no, this is not mine, take it back and whatever. What my heart wants is to be present with that anchor within me. That's all it desires. And as I start shielding that part of me with my own compassion, shame vanishes. As I start being present with, you know, that part of me and really surrounding it with my own compassion, the density of shame that was embedded in the cells begins to vanish. The stagnation, the energy that was stagnating in the cells, it starts moving again. And a stronger sense of your own self-worth and worthiness is being deepened. So how this is how I would summarize it. Learning how to be present with the part that is filled with shame, in my opinion, is where the alchemy happens. And um, I don't know if I can find better words to really transmit that, but um, that's the answer I have at the moment.
Xavier, uh, you're speaking my language, I think our language. I mean, that's the way I, I look at things in terms of human consciousness as an individual. I use the analogy very often that like we, I'm the conductor of an orchestra and I have all these different instruments that are playing within me in different ways of thinking, feeling, moving, behavior, behaving, all these different, um, I guess, programs. You know, you can have the interjected mother, the interjected father. I mean, who knows? that that impact you and and very often they're trying to take over the wheel you know yeah. and so how can you from the center from you can call it different schools of thought have called it different things but let's say the executor of the psyche the ego that's able to manage these different parts and have some yeah. consciousness but can you can each individual can you put your arm your own arm around that part of you that inner child or that part of you that's feeling shame and to have space for it to experience and move and and have that emotion be present instead of rejecting it or, or instead of moving towards those self-soothing mechanisms that human beings we all at times of our life we've turned to to not yeah. feel and that can be a whole long scroll of things that we do to not be present to not allow ourselves to just be I love what you know the way you're putting it at the moment and there's something that I would like to say to amplify that Sometimes we often we even use mindfulness practices as a way not to feel. Like you can use your breath to tap out of an experience, or you can use your breath to make space for more of the experience to unfold. You can use your breath to connect even more with the experience. So I just really want to say what you voice there is so powerful. It's like Instead of using our mechanisms, and sometimes we may use very elegant ones, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we're going to use very elegant mechanisms to tap out, to disconnect, to fly above the pain, to fly above the discomfort, instead of like learning how to approach it, to enter it, to emerge from it. When there is a, there is a part of you that wants to trust, and sometimes this is where you start truly unleashing your power. When, call it your lower self, ego, or whatever, when it starts noticing that you are actually reclaiming the capacity to approach your pain, to enter your pain, and to emerge from your pain, when it starts trusting it, your definition of survival starts being recalibrated. Things that used to cause you fear in the past do not cause you fear anymore. Being shamed does not have the same power to decrease the potency of light that you can hold in your body. And now even that ego, lower self, call it however you want. It's like, uh, you know how to deal with it. Let's get on with it. Shine your light, show up a little bit more. Give me something more challenging here. I've seen that you know already how to handle this level of discomfort. So let's move forward. So I really love what you are saying right now, what, you, what you're bringing up at the moment. And in my opinion, the more we can learn how to be present with the parts of us without adding another layer, is the key part, without adding another layer of like belittling, of shaming, compassionate presence, compassionate awareness, compassionate presence. You said having your hand over, really come a little closer. Come over here. Let me relate to you. Let me be intimate with you. There is a beautiful alchemy that happens there. Yeah, um, 
I'm assuming you know the poem. It's one of my favorites by Rumi called The Guest House. Are you aware of that poem by Rumi? I know parts of the po- I, of the poem. I don't know the whole thing. So yeah, I'm, well, anyways, not, what we're talking about, I feel like relates to that, where it's like, how do we treat these different parts of us? Maybe the ones we're afraid of, the ones that we self-judge as yes. guests in our home, you know, where we can yes. like welcome them and embrace them and and hold space for them, maybe serve them tea, you know what I mean? And and yeah. be with them. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And it can be very challenging for some people based on previous traumas, based on the state of their nervous system, based on their window of tolerance. But part of what we're talking about here is supporting that uh, the the expansion of that window of tolerance that human beings can hold space for the the discomfort discomfortable the uncomfortable feelings and I mean that's Absolutely. a whole another rabbit hole and conversation to go down. We just had Irene Lyon on last week talking about the nervous system, but but it's um yeah man. Anyways, I I'm feeling you and what you're saying. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. So I guess the question is like how does someone like tap into that, that, that heart space? Like we talk about the heart, you know, but how does someone identify when, when, when they are coming from that energy and, and coming from that place? When they are coming from the heart, from know. their heart. Yeah. Like how, how do you, how do you, yes. how do you identify that, that, that energy to actually, you mean, feel something with quote unquote your heart or the heart, you know? Yeah. It's a very interesting question. The first thing that I would say is actually to begin to create a new relationship with the heart. Mm. itself to just begin to to relate to your heart you know and what i mean by that is really to tune in just for a second and to imagine that there is a consciousness in your heart that is looking back at you just for a second to imagine that embedded in these cells that this organ is more than just a pump that it's more than just an engine within you that is getting blood to flow from your toes to your head yeah that it is way more than just that, that there is a consciousness embedded in the cells. And to actually anchor the perspective that the heart knows how to hold all of it, all of it. It, ha- it has actually been holding all of it. Yeah. It has been holding every single heartbeat. It has been holding all of it. And the only reason why it often feels broken at times is because it was burdened by feelings, emotions that you didn't know how to allow the heart to process yet. Not that you didn't know how to process, but that you didn't trust the heart to process yet. And therefore, we are so powerful that we can hinder our own systems. Yeah. We are so powerful that we can hinder the body. We are so powerful that we can actually this body of ours, which is, in my opinion, the visible part of the mind. So the thinking that you are, the the thinking that is happening here is not separate from the body. The separation mind, body, and soul, in my opinion, is one of the biggest lies ever. It's like this soul that you are projecting itself in this world of density and projecting itself as well in this word of thought, if we're going to put it this way, but it's the same essence, visible and invisible part of the same essence. So the the, the, the fears, the limitations that have been put around your ability to feel, they get to be dissolved at that level first. It's like there's a, there's a huge amount of lack of trust that people have with the heart. Mm-hmm. 
a tremendous amount of lack of trust, which is we believe sometimes that so many of our emotions are just going to consume us, that we're going to get lost into them. And actually, at times, we actually go through the tiny process of madness where our identifications, where our mental, I want to say where our mental constructs almost dissolve to make room for something new. What I've seen is when you are actually able to relate to that consciousness within the heart, and I'm just starting here at the beginning, and to even set this intention, it is safe for me to begin trusting my heart. It is safe for me to start the journey of trusting my heart. It is safe for me to be initiated to the potency of this heart of mine. It is safe for me to actually allow the, the river of emotional power that is willing to flow through me. It is safe for me to become intimate with that part of me. When we even start to set that intention, there is a new openness that starts. There is a new awakening that starts. As if we finally plug the heart and that consciousness within the heart actually rejoices. It's like, oh, finally you see me. Let me show you how much I can hold you. Finally, you want to play in the major league. Let me show you how powerful you can be. Finally, you are stepping out of this divine, this divide. Finally, you, ste you are stepping out of creating this false battle between mind and heart. We've never been fighting. Mm. We've never been fighting. That is the initial core programming of separation that has been anchored within you. So finally, you're trying to let us actually work from that place of coherence. And that is that would be the first step, building trust with the heart. And building trust with the heart, in my opinion, it's also getting into this place where all the feelings that you used to be repressed, and you can, you, you, you can even ask yourself these simple questions. What are the emotions that traditionally in my family of origin were not allowed, that I wasn't allowed to feel? that I wasn't allowed to experience, for me, a whole bunch of, of sadness will come up. Yeah. For me, it's anger, no, anger was around. And we mixed a lot of anger with aggression. And you start being like, oh, what are the things that when I, what are the emotions that were not, I wasn't allowed to feel growing up? And you will start being aware of these things. What do I often do when these emotions come up? And you will start to perceive all the different ways you repress, all the different ways you, you shut down your own heart, all the different ways you shut down your own body. And now you begin to ask the question, how can I actually allow myself to be in the presence of these emotions? And this is where you, you actually start building trust. Meaning the next time it arises, you anchor the intent. It is safe for me to stay with it. It is safe for me to be with it. It is safe for me to be with it a little longer. It is safe for me not to disconnect from this feeling. It is safe for me to be with this feeling. And as you stay with this long enough, and here's the challenging part, without creating a narrative, without creating an external narrative, this is just you in the experience, you start tapping into the potency of the heart. You just begin to open up to the potency of the heart. And in my opinion, you start tapping into your capacity to transmute some of the heavy 
density that we can happen to hold into the body. So um, I'm not sure if I'm responding fully to the question, but this is at the very least, in my opinion, how we can begin to work a little bit more consciously with the heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're definitely answering the question. And uh, I just love the process of how you talk about how it's just, you know, it starts with that awareness. But then the simple, I say simple, but the simple acts of asking yourself questions and answering somatically, I guess you can say, uh, is so powerful. Like asking the, to, to know that there, these are questions that even can be asked. Yeah. That's, I think that's the starting point. You know, some people don't, some people don't even know that you can even ask these questions, that these are things that a person can do in an introspective uh, self-inquiry process. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. And um, a lot of people really think that heart attunement, as I, as I often call it, is something that some people have naturally and some, something that others don't have naturally. I spent, I want to say, decades numbing my emotions. You know, really growing up in a, you know, in a place where I grew up where, um, you know, as a, as a little boy that spends a lot of his time crying, you know, there was a lot of bullying and shaming I went through a lot of bullying. And at some point, I just learned how to be hard. You know, I learned how to repress a whole bunch of things. You know, we lost loved ones and I would go to the funerals. I wasn't even able to access any degree of grief. You know, um, grandparents, I wasn't able to access any degree of grief. And part of me was like, hey, my friend, there is something that is not working right here. That you're not even allowing yourself to tune into sadness. Your dad is over there crying, and you're not even you 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 can't even access all of this. So decades of just being at this space where I was so skilled, I became so skilled, and that was a coping mechanism of mine. I just shutting down and going through this journey of like opening up again. Honestly, my experience of dropping out and all the abandonment that happened at that time my first experiences of surrender were actually surrender, not to power, not to light, not to, no, it was surrender to grief. It was surrender to sadness. It was surrender to anger and rage at times. It was just surrender to all of this. And I would be in these moments of just feeling all of that. My heart would be racing, like literally racing as if I put my heart on overdrive for, you know, a, a certain amount of time. It's like, this is something that you get to practice. And we are navigating a time in collective evolution where the heart needs a bigger place at the table. In my opinion, we are seeing the, the, the awakening of the collective heart of humanity. And there is a lot of purging that is happening at the moment. So um, this is just another thought that came up. Yeah, I'm real curious. I want to just check in since you just shared a little bit about your past about shutting off emotion and um do you think that had an impact on you going into mathematics and statistics you know being much more of a of a let's say a conventionally left-brained human and more um actually it's a very interesting question because um here are a few things that came naturally to me music came naturally to me when I was when I was growing up music drawing, um, art, 
these were things that were just natural. Like I would pick up a piano and just like, I, I could hear a song and just find the notes. Um, but really growing up in this, actually really interesting. Um, my dad, in his own time, wanted to be a musician and he gave it up. He he had some tracks. He, you know, he wrote some songs and recorded them on cassettes. This, I don't know if that's how you call them. Mm-hmm. Um, these tiny cassettes, and we would listen to, we would listen to it. And that was the natural inclination. And at some point, there was just this heartbreak with this desire. I remember my mom sitting me down at some point. She was just like, hey, you're gonna need to come back to reality for a second. And I was around maybe 16 and 17, and I just put all of this behind me. I was literally obsessed with guitar and piano and things like this. And she was like, and plus you're playing the kind of music that doesn't even sell um, over here. So I was like, all right, fine. Um, I'm gonna do something else. So there was this journey, this journey of really trying to apply myself, trying to do something, trying to, conform as best as I could, as if I, I, as if I had some sort of agreement with my soul that for a certain amount of time, I'm going to do the best I can to get out of here. And when I finally feel that there is an opening, I will explore once again what it looks like to step into that place of freedom again. So there are, there are interesting coincidences in there that I, I never really thought about. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I relate. I relate so much to you to your journey, just in in in, in different ways. But it, everything that you share really echoes like a lot of my life and my, and my experience as well. I mean, growing up, I was a very emotional child. I would cry at the drop of a hat almost. Um, and then over time, growing up with an only I've only got one older brother and, and, and my father. Um, you know, you you learn to you, it becomes ingrained or conditioned upon you that the value for a man is 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 in not crying in just getting through it in pushing through it in in stonewalling um so to speak you know and i've got a long way to go obviously but beginning to recognize these patterns in my own life and the ways that i've repressed these emotions myself and also you mean my my initial dream was was to be a musician as well music's been a huge part of my life and in the in the, in the same token you know what i mean i was conditioned with the things that you know it's not a viable career option you got to work for the family business and metaphorically, the family business was literally concrete. So the furthest thing possible um, from music and very hardening as well, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, I just want to thank you for, for sharing because it, it's definitely insightful for myself. Um, You're absolutely welcome. You're absolutely welcome. And, you know, I'm, I'm celebrating that you found, you, you found your way back into, at, at the very least, this is what it seems like you're doing right now. It's like finding your way back to something that fills your heart even more with life, with joy, with expansion. And I really just want to honor that you didn't give up on that voice because in my opinion, it is one of the single most important thing that people can do for collective evolution right now. For me, there was never there was never really a choice. I was never going to betray though, those deeper desires, those deeper passions, those deeper feelings of myself. Like I would it would would not have been in existence for me to just shut it all down and just walk walk the conventional route that was that was expected of me. Um, yeah. But thank you, man. I I really appreciate that. And it's true. A lot of another part of what you said, like a lot of what I'm doing now, 
in, in a sense, is trying to buy back that freedom or earn back that freedom so I can pursue the things that you mean I, I, I never really got the chance to do in a, in, 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 a, in, in a deeper way, I guess, as well. So I really resonate yeah. with all of that. The next question I have for you, um, and we, we might have already covered it, but can you, can you give us just a shadow work 101 basics um, for, for our listeners? Hey, guys, hope you've been enjoying this amazing conversation with Xavier Dagba. Just want to interrupt quickly to let you guys know that applications for round two of our eight-week private group coaching program, Rise Above the Herd, is now, are now open again. You can head to riseabovetheherd.com.au if you're looking to apply for that and really step into and embody your, your true potential and open up to what's possible. Yeah, and also just want to let you know for anyone in the Southern California area or anyone willing to make a trip, uh, I'll be emceeing this weekend uh, wellness retreat, uh, May 27th to the 30th. You can find all information and details at www.musicandsky.com. We'll have uh, some great speakers, some former guests of the podcast will be there as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of this episode. Um, the shadow work one-on-one that would, the 101 that I, that I would give for the listeners would be just to define what the shadow is. And this is something that um, a lot of people find controversial when I define the shadow. I'm inviting you to think about the shadow like the dark face of your higher self. And I'm going to really be with that thought for a second. Imagine that upon incarnation on this earth, your soul needed to hold the space for the density of this body to even materialize. Therefore, it decided, I need to hold the spectrum between dark and light. I need to really split myself in a way that I can hold this full spectrum of polarity so that matter can actually become matter, so that matter can be densified. Now, I don't want to lean too much into the metaphysics of all of this, but the very important key part is I'm inviting people to really think about this concept. The same way yin and yang need each other and complete each other. The same way masculine and feminine in the purest essence of these energies, complete each other. They've never been opposing and fighting each other. They complete each other, they complement each other. The same way in this world of density, dark and light, known and unknown, and unknown complement each other. Meaning, here I am, all this infinite awareness and this human projection that I'm going to experience myself as cannot possibly hold all that I am. So the biggest part of all that I am actually needs to be unconscious. The biggest part of all that I am needs to be in a space, needs to be undefined. Mm -hmm. It needs to be in this space that the, the, the psyche of the human cannot fully even grasp. So Let's create this kind of like false separation, higher self, shadow self, where one has the intent, the purpose to help the human fall in love with, you know, their divinity. And the other one, the shadow self now has the intent to help 
the human, fall in love with the humanity, the humanness. So I'm inviting you to really think about the shadow, just the shadow, be, before we dive into um, really diving into shadow work itself, just the shadow. Like this, and let's even give it the consciousness. It's a part that is right there, a collection that is actually looking at you that is like, hey, I am here to teach you compassion. I am right here to teach you compassion. I have been holding all the parts of you that you were not ready to love yet. I have been holding all the parts of humanity that you've been conditioned to see as ugly. I've been holding very dark things, very, very dark things. Some of these things you even call evil. I've been holding all of that. And I am not evil, but I am capable of holding great darkness. I am capable of holding great darkness. And the more you can lean in here and explore the parts of you that were repressed in here, that you repressed consciously and, or unconsciously, the more you can consciously and, and darken yourself, the more you can actually deepen and ground your light the more you allow your light to descend with you. Because in my opinion, shadow work is not a journey of ascension per se. It's a journey of dissension. It is as if you are embarking on the journey of becoming a descended master. So it's like there, 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 is, there are two different things, two things, not different, but kind of like they have the same, out, the same outcome which is you being able to hold more of your own power. There is a process of dissension, meaning you are inviting more of your soul to meet you here. And the darker aspects, the parts that were really repressed, they are actually ascending to meet you in this space of unity within that you are actually the holder. You are actually the part of the design of the human is to actually be at that that place where you hold that frequency of unity. And in my opinion, there is no mistake that we're experiencing so much divide right now because we've been craving a deeper experience of unity at the moment. So how can I define the shadow? Like the darker face of your higher self, the part that has been holding everything that you were conditioned to shy away from, and even some of these parts your repressed power, the light that it was frightening to embrace, the light that it was unsafe to fully embrace. So just embracing my shadow is not evil. It is not out here to get me. Of course, repressed in there may be some trauma, repressed in there may be my reactivity, repressed in there may be some, you know, um, parts of me that I didn't know how to love, repressed in there, there may be as well things that link me to this collective shadow that we all have. So repressed in there, there is all of this. The same way your higher self is related to everyone else's higher selves out there, your shadow self is also connected to the collective shadow. Just understanding this geometry of consciousness to a certain degree and that it is not something that is there to destroy you because a lot of people are afraid of shadow work. And yes, when we often dive in, the first layers that we tend to meet are the repressed pain, repressed reactivity, repressed trauma, 
the grief that we didn't know how to process, the anger that feels like it's consuming, the rage that sometimes gets us to feel like we're going to get lost in aggression, all of that, this is very often what we meet first. But the more we descend in there, the more we actually begin to lean into your own golden shadow, which is the light that you haven't, you didn't know how to embrace, how to really embody. So that's the first thing I would say, really just understanding the design, understanding that the shadow is not something here that is meant to destroy you. It is something, and the, one of the quotes from Carl Jung that I'm just going to give a, I, I'm just going to put it in my own words. I don't know the exact wording. For a tree to reach heaven, you know, its roots must reach hell or something like this. So at the same time, there needs to be an equivalent process of endarkenment, meaning you dive deeper within the unconscious and making that unconscious conscious, which is actually the design of shadow work. Like making the unconscious conscious so that all these repressed parts that actually do not go away so that they do not hijack you anymore so that they don't get to a place where they are riding the riding the 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 you know the the car of your consciousness if i'm going to put it this way without you being aware of it so um that is the first thing that i would like to say the other thing that i would like to bring up that are, in my opinion, key tenets for shadow work, for effective shadow work. And sometimes it sounds so ridiculous when I often share this with people. They, they're like, really? And I'm, I'm like, yes. It, to me, these three principles are attributes of the soul. The first one is awareness. The second one is acceptance. The third one is compassion. In my opinion, that is a sacred triad for shadow work. And that awareness is actually when we decide to make the heartfelt decision, I want to know self. I want to know self. I want to know myself beyond the surface, beyond, you know, the, 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 the mental processes, beyond all of this. I want to know myself emotionally. I want to know myself somatically. I want to know myself even spiritually in all the different layers that I can possibly become aware of. I want to know myself beyond the illusions that I've internalized. I want to challenge my own denial. I want to know myself. When we first hold on to that intention, which is also bringing honest introspection, pure awareness demands a level of radical transparency with yourself radical honesty that we are actually demanding from the world. You know, we are demanding a, a huge level of integrity from the world at the moment. Yeah. And in order to really receive that, we need to give it to ourselves. We need to call out our own denial. We are demanding radical transparency from institutions. We are demanding transparency from like organiz organizations out there, from leaders out there, but very often, will live in denial and there is a there is a split there is a split right there it's like the first thing can you give to yourself that transparency can you actually challenge your own denial can you actually begin to ask yourself the question what else is there for me to see what else is there for me to see how are the what are the different ways i may be contributing to this 
I, I am willing to see. I am willing to be disillusioned by myself. I am tired of living under the spell of my own illusions and the illusions that were cast, that was, you know, projected onto me that I actually accepted. I want to see underneath. And then we meet disillusionment. And the next step is actually, can you accept that? Can you accept what you see? Can you actually lean into this space where you do not start creating narratives of unworthiness? Can you actually accept what you see when you lean in there? Can you actually accept that very often in some situations where you are often, often putting yourself in the position of the one that may be um, hurt by the other person, you actually had maybe a tiny, maybe just a tiny itty bitty, you know, role in that situation. Can you actually begin to challenge the, the projections that you're sending onto others? Can you actually begin to accept that the pattern is actually here? And that shaming yourself for the pattern or shaming the pattern is not going to get the pattern to go away. Can you actually accept it? Meaning this is here and that is okay. I am experiencing this and that is okay. I became aware of this part of me and that is okay. Through my inquiry, I became aware of the this thing that I often do, I'm often doing, and that is okay. It doesn't mean that I'm becoming complacent with it. It doesn't mean that I'm becoming complacent with it. It doesn't mean that I'm not gonna try to um that I'm not gonna try to embrace a new way of being, but it means that I'm gonna stop playing the game of separation. And what do I mean by that? I'm going to stop trying to cut off this part of me. I'm going to stop trying to sever this part of me. In this moment, I'm going to remember that I am the space where all of these parts are actually emerging from. And I don't need to identify with this part of me. As I choose to be aware of it, to accept its presence here, I actually discharge a lot of my power from that part. And I can step into this space where I am more true to self, where I'm more true to self. And the next step is actually where, to my, in my opinion, acceptance is for the mind, what compassion is for the heart. Acceptance is for the mind. It's like, I am go- I'm not going to try to put, because the mind is great at putting up illusions, creating meaning to rationalize something. And very often I have a mentor that says rationalizing is rationally lying to ourselves. So the mind is great at creating rationals. Accept When we accept, we, we disrupt the rationals. We disrupt trying to paint over, to gloss over things that we weren't ready to, to, to make peace with. We just let them be. Now, compassion is when you, involve, you engage the heart. You really engage the heart. Can I actually feel into this? Can I love this part of me even more? Can I open my heart to include this part of me? And this is where the ultimate happens. The awareness, the acceptance is just beginning the journey of like, hey, let me see truth. Let me see truth within myself. Let me see truth without sugarcoating it. Let me be disillusioned about myself and this illusion here is a very powerful thing meaning let me let me collapse the veils about me 
Let me get disillusioned. I am ready to be disillusioned because living the way I used to doesn't work for me anymore. It is. It started suffocating my spirit out of me. I'm no longer available for it. Let me be disillusioned. I want to see. I want to see the truth of who I am. I want to see the ugly, the good, the beauty, even the beauty that scares me, I want to see it. I want to accept that it is there. I want to know that it is there. I want to accept that all of it is there. And now let me learn how to love it. Let me learn how to open my heart to it. Let me actually invite the alchemist to the table because the alchemist, in my opinion, is a beautiful pair between heart and mind. When they join in together, there is some sort of transcendence that happens where you are able to look at the parts of you that are filled with shame and invite them into your heart. And that through that healing exposure, the shame can happen to move out of yourselves. And now the next step is really how to deepen that, that, that awareness is begin to ask the questions. What are the parts of me that my tribe of origin couldn't accept? What are the parts of me that I wasn't allowed to express in my family? What are the parts of me that I had to repress in order to receive love from mom, from dad? What are the parts of me that I had to repress in order to be at peace with my siblings? What are the parts of me that I learned how to tame? In relationship, what are the desires that I often hide? What are the hidden forces that drive my sexuality? You know, you, you start really asking these different questions. What are the desires, the wants that I never even speak out loud in relationships with my romantic relationships? What are the parts of me that I am so afraid that my partner, my, 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 my lover could find out about? And now you ask, you, 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 you rise a little bit more. What are the parts of my personality that I have a hard time accepting? that I shame myself tremendously for? What are these aspects? What are the values that are actually upheld in there? Do they belong to me? Are they mine? Are they still up to date to who I am today, with who I am today? What is all of this? And now you can ascend even more in asking at the level of the heart, what are the emotions that I still have a hard time welcoming? What are the parts of me that I still have a hard time loving? What are the parts of me that are denied of my own compassion and don't have access, access to my heart? What are the parts of me that I judge as evil? Really asking these questions. What are the things that I have a hard time speaking? The needs that I have a hard time communicating? And you begin to just like ask yourself these beautiful questions. What are all the ways I know I may be, you know, doing to people the same things that other people did to me that were actually very hurtful? Did I in any way become like people who hurt me? What are all the ways I actually became like people who hurt me? You start asking these questions with a radical level of honesty, you are into shadow work. Yeah. You are actually knee deep into shadow work. And the more you can lean in there with your own compassion, and this, this is the reason why I offer these key tenets without, before even starting to, to offer these shadow work inquiries, because sometimes when we bring, the, we bring the inquiry and you do not have in mind that it's so, going to be so important to have your compassion, your acceptance, 
you know, it's, it's going to be so important to have them at the very least online or at the very least to know that you would need to be compassionate and accepting of yourself. It's going to be very hard to do shadow work. Shadow work is the initiation to compassion. It is really the initiation of compassion. And compassion right now is what allows the heart to expand even more. Um, so this would be some sort of like shadow work one-on-one, 101. Um, I think that was 101 to 103, bro. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> You, you you explained it so so beautifully and and I love how you ended around uh, it being an initiation to compassion because I've always found that the, the more parts of you that you accept within yourself and you're, you're aware of, you see it out in the world. So instead of being like, you, you're the bad one, you're the evil one, you're mean, you're this, you go, oh, I know that part of me. Yeah. I know, I know when, where that exists in me. Yeah. And it, and it's, you come to a different place of understanding and acceptance. Um you, you know what I mean? So I, 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 I totally agree with you. Yeah, man. And it's we, like, you can actually be like, hey, I see you. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can happen to see the person that is out there raging about something. You know, when you've met your own rage and when you've met your own, your own fear, you'll be like, hey, I see you. Mm-hmm. Like, I truly see you. I see not only the behavior, but I also see what is driving the behavior. So I see you. And there is a deeper sense of compassion there, indeed, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, we definitely project onto these institutions the parts of ourselves that we don't want to see, you know, where it's so easy to point point the finger at the lack of integrity in the world. But how many are actually willing to have a look at the lack of integrity in in, in themselves, um, so to speak? And it's it's so potent because, like, acceptance of ourselves isn't necessarily approval of ourselves. We're not condoning or approving. We're able to see, we're able to hold space for it, but we're able to adjust course if, if we need to, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Do you think shadow work is a finite process or do you think it's something that goes on? Oh, in my opinion, there is nothing finite about shadow mm. work. You know, it's like, just imagine that you are elevating yourself as a tower and the, the, the taller you get, just imagine there's a sun up there. The taller you get, the, the longer your shadow also becomes. Yeah, that's right. So it's just an analogy. You're here to say um, it is a process. It's as if it's a wheel that just keeps turning. It's really just a wheel that keeps turning. And in my opinion, there's an attitude that if we actually embrace the attitude itself, it's like we don't need to prime ourselves for shadow work as we need to do it at the beginning. You know, very often when we start into it, at the beginning, we kind of prime ourselves. It's like it was for me. It's like people are like, I need to get ready. I'm going to need to dive into my shadow. I'm going to need create to dive space. into my... You create space yeah. to do shadow work. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We create space to do shadow work. Some people often... I, I have some people who often come and they want to work with me. They tell me, I want to do shadow work with, what, for one year. Do you think that would be enough? And I start laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> well, um, I have no freaking clue. And actually, no, that's not going to be enough. I mean, it would be enough if you tell me that you're dying after this year or if you've been given some sort of terminal prognosis or something like, like this. Um, because in my opinion, that spiral of evolution keeps happening. And we keep meeting the shadow from a different perspective. 
and from a different perspective. I'm inviting you to think about these two parts, like infinite parts, mm. shadow self, as long as we're in this human body, shadow self and higher self, like best friends actually making fun of us because we are diving into the, the game of separation. Imagine them having a conversation every single time. It's like, they, sometimes when I lean in there, it just feels like this cosmic joke that sh they are literally having a conversation. Like, look at this guy once again. He's just trying to live in his light. He's just trying to, you know, be in this space where all is beautiful and all is elegant. This is actually cute. This is great. There's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, you know, if you truly want to be in this space, bringing the attitude of seeing the next trigger as, hey, another part of me that I get to be intimate with. Yeah. That, sing that single attitude can create so much grace and ease when you are being hit by the next shadow flare, when you're being hit by the next like reactivity and you're being like, wow, what just happened? Like, holy shit, what just happened? There is actually no judgment that's unfolding there. And even if there is judgment, you can see, you can see the part that is actually lashing out with judgment and being like, oh my goodness, what did I just eat today? What is coming up? Where is this coming from? Why am I being so harsh? Or why is this part of me so activated? Mm. What is the value? What is the value that's behind it? Really, that attitude can bring a whole lot of ease into shadow work. So is it a finite, pro finite process? Yes, because someday you're going to die. Mm. But that's the only reason why it would be <laughs> finite. Yeah. Um, so that's how I can answer this. You know, uh, curiosity is so important, you know? in terms yeah. of being curious about yourself and what you said. And, you know, for me, my, my first, I guess you can say foray into shadow work was um, in my early to mid twenties when I started uh, acting training and I was fortunate enough to have a teacher who was really um, uh, invested in consciousness work in, in regards to, okay, here you are as a person who's come to a class and you have conditioning from family and society, et cetera. And that's cool. Let's honor that. But if you want to be able to empathize with lots of different characters and lots of different stories, you need to be able to tap into those parts in yourself in service of telling stories. So what in initially was a process to support me into being able to play different characters was a was a process of expansion of accepting more of me and again it keeps going it's that circle that you're talking about but i'm yeah. so blessed and grateful for that time because it laid a foundation of honoring the light and the dark and knowing like oh hey there's just a part of me you know there's a there's an energy on the other side as well and what are the gifts of that side you know so often we get attached to one way or over identified to one way of being that we lose sight of the gifts of the other side you know yeah. so again very often we need to stand in between the tension of opposites, you know, and shadow that. work, shadow work supports that. Absolutely. It's just like really standing, you know, what I'm perceiving right there, it's like the beautiful ability to expand your, the spectrum of expression within yourself. Mm -hmm. It's like very often we try to restrict ourselves in this narrow range of expression. I want to only be happy, joyful, experience pleasure you know, we only want to be in these spaces. And then our initial 
you know, experiences of shadow work will get us into a place of like, how about your sadness? How about your grief? How about, how about even the joy that scares you? How about actually the, the level of pleasure that you find terrifying? How about that? How about you allow yourself to also be present in these places? How about you allow yourself to experience all of that? And now you your spectrum of expression expands. Mm. And that spectrum of expression expands even more. You can allow yourself to be present with your sadness as much as you allow yourself to be present with your joy. Mm-hmm. And maybe you, you, you know, you, you still have preferences because you're human. You're allowed to have preferences. Maybe you would still prefer joy more than you prefer sadness. But at the very, there is this new wisdom that kicks in. Hey, as much as I would prefer being in a different state in this moment, what I'm experiencing right now is appropriate and I'm going to bring my presence in there. Yeah. There's that new level of wisdom that kicks in. And it's not just the entry level spirituality um, that I just want to be love and light and happy. I just want to be there and everything else is negative. Therefore, I'm going to cut it off. It's not just that entry level spirituality anymore. It is, let me accept all of who I am, truly accept. Let me be the space that can hold my divinity and my humanness all at once. I choose to be that. Yeah. Yeah. And like it, look, looking back even on that Carl Jung quote, you know, no, no, no tree can grow to heaven that doesn't have roots in hell. It's almost like, the level of joy that we can experience is relative to the level of the depth of the sadness that we're able to hold space for as well, you know, and it's, it is, it is an expansion of, of, of expression. Absolutely. I want to, I want to add something to this too, because we're talking about like very often many people operate from a a limited or a a rigid, rigid um, framework within themselves. They don't have a lot of access to more of, of these different parts of them. And I find that it's one reason why a lot of people use certain substances, primarily alcohol, because it's like alcohol brings people like directly into these more disowned parts of them that it's almost like a, a, an artificial balancing process where it's like they're operating from this like 15 hours a day, but it's like their soul, their spirit is like, but you need to experience some of this too. And it's like, yeah. this is all they know. They know how to just, well, I'll just have like seven drinks. And then like the partier, the pleasure seeker, like these different parts will come out, you know, the, the rager, the, the rager, yeah, you know, yeah. so it's almost like this like pseudo way of, 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 of your soul wanting to do shadow work, but not really doing it. I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, it's just like all the different ways we regulate, quote unquote, regulate ourselves, not the nervous system, but ourselves, because very often I'm inviting you to think I I work with a whole bunch of men and at some point um, 90%, 90%, you know, have had experiences of just struggling with porn, for example, you know, and really feeling a whole bunch of shame because of it. And very often it is being used as a way to discharge something. It is not, it is not just, it is not being used for pure sexual pleasure. There are hidden factors very often. It's like being used as a way to discharge anger, as a way to discharge anxiety, as a way to discharge um, sadness or grief, as a way to discharge a crippling amount of shame. I've seen this so many and using alcohol as a way to discharge and as a way to step out of all of these experiences as well. 
And there is something that the we, we create all these somatic associations mm-hmm. between, you know, oh, I'm on the brink of being dysregulated. I'm on the brink of diving into my depression, anxiety, fear. Let me default to alcohol. Let me use alcohol as a way. And this is the reason why I don't necessarily like people saying I'm an alcoholic. And I often get them to say, I am a person or, you know, I, I am, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a person that uses alcohol as a way to, mm-hmm. and I often get them to complete the sentence. And just that inquiry will get them to get so much in the, you know, to, to become aware of so much. I am a person that uses alcohol as a way to, you know, as a way to not feel as a way to not be with, as a way to, you know, not experience. And they just complete that sentence. I'm a person who is using, you know, uh, porn as a way to. I am a person who is using, um, I don't know, uh, this. Or You can just pick another thing, another addictive pattern. And very often there is a whole bunch of opening that happens because people allow themselves to finally see what they were running away from. And I find that's really beautiful. Yeah, man. And it's, I mean, it's very difficult to perform shadow work while you're still self-sabotaging. I've found obviously in, in, in my experience as well. And very often the first step in that process is to stop those self-soothing mechanisms somehow or cease or decrease the amount of self-sabotage. And that actually gives the shadow the opportunity to, to emerge and for you to engage in a proper dialogue with it on some level. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's very, very challenging. Transcending self-sabotage is really, really challenging because the saboteur, in my opinion, plays a dual role. The saboteur is first, mm. always bringing things that have worked in the past. The saboteur, in my opinion, is a beautiful historian. It's a part of you that will just be like, well, just do that. Just do that. It has worked before. You know, it's not optimal, but this is something that you've done before to just calm yourself, regulate yourself, just go back to it. You know, or just do that. It's as if it's a dark counselor. Imagine that you have a king and behind the chair of the king, there is this dark presence that is often, you know, whispering things, just do that. Or we need to go to war with this country. Oh, we need to do that. Um, You need to do that. Oh, pay attention to that. Oh, just that is the energy of the saboteur. And very often it's also there is an inner rebel in the saboteur, which is a part of you that really doesn't want to trust your light, doesn't want to trust your power. It's like, I have no reason whatsoever. I have no evidence to even believe that my light is safe. I have no evidence to believe that I will be balanced if I even start challenging this addictive pattern or this recurring pattern that I have. I have no evidence to trust that. Like, pay attention. Remember what happened five years ago when you tried to do this? Remember how things were disastrous? Remember? So, no. That's the energy of the the saboteur. But I'm also inviting you to imagine that the saboteur has a different face, a brighter face that is asking, are you truly at the threshold? Are you truly at the threshold where you are ready to invite in more of your light? Are you really at the threshold? As if it's a gatekeeper. Mm, mm. And when you are able to say yes 
and yes, and yes, yes, I hear you, and I'm no longer available for engaging in this old ways. Yes, it terrifies me. Yes, I don't know what is going to happen. Where Yes, I don't know what is waiting for me on the other end. But here is something that I know. Where I stand in this moment is no longer who I am. And we're going forward. We're going forward. I'm going to challenge this. I'm going to lean in there. And it's as if that part of you, as if it, at the very moment it senses that you're reaching that threshold. It's like, all right, let's dive in. Since I'm the historian, I'm therefore going to share with you the things that you didn't want to see. Here you go, here you go, here you go. Here's your file. Here's the file of all the different things that were actually causing the self-sabotage. Here is a part of you that actually would, could use a little bit more of your presence. Are you willing to go in there? Because if you're not willing to go in there, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna push the addiction once again. <laughs> so you need to either go in there or you know, I'm going to tell you, go get a drink, mm. go get a drink, turn on that, um, you know, that, that other addictive pattern, turn on your website, you know, just do it. Just go back to the thing because we need regulation. Either you bring your presence and your compassion in there, or you take a pseudo um, soothing mechanism. So um, the energy of the saboteur, in my opinion, is a very fascinating thing to work with as well. I love your analogies, man. Yeah. The dark let, counselor. Let me, let me, let, let me show you what's inside the vault. Yeah. Thank you. It's like the more we can, we can start working with these um, parts of us in a very impersonal way, meaning we are constantly diving and walking across this, this spectrum, personal, impersonal. When we make things too personal, we identify too strongly with the human. And we tend to say, wow, there's something wrong with me. There's something broken with me. There's something not appropriate without within me. When we make things extremely impersonal, we tend to bypass. We bypass spiritually when we just rise above everything and rise above the our humanness. We get out of touch with this, but we came here to be. We mm -hmm. came here to be in the body. We came here to be human. We came here to embrace the humanness. So when you start really finding the appropriate sweet spot between personal and impersonal all at once, it is personal and it is impersonal, meaning this is me experiencing it. And at the same time, I can see the mechanics and I can see the energetics. The yeah. energetics are very impersonal. The mechanics we can make them a lot personal, meaning this person did that to me and then I did that and then I responded like this and then I reacted like this and then they said that and then I said that and I felt, you know, this is the mechanics. And then when you start seeing into the energetics, this is a self-protection mechanism that is built in within me. And through my journey, I am now at the stage where I get to challenge this protection mechanism to emerge from it, to transcend it. This is the, 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 the energetics, and that is appropriate. It actually gives you the space to begin to embrace things more skillfully without shaming yourself, without creating all of that. So that's what yeah. I can say at the moment. I, I love when you were saying impersonal and personal, I, I was immediately thinking, and you went into it afterwards, about awareness and experience. Like if you're yeah. just living an experience and you're just bouncing back and forth and those different parts of you are taking over the wheel, 
um, you know, there isn't consciousness around it, but then awareness on its own, like awareness, there's no action in awareness. Awareness is just awareness is just seeing it. And so to be able to hold both. And then within that, there's kind of this like third part that can choose that can choose the experience that can make a different choice that is, is kind of holding the awareness and the different experiences together to then move through life and make the hopefully appropriate choice, depending on the situation at hand. I love that. I really love that beautiful analogy. Hmm. I've noticed here um, uh, you are an emotional freedom technique practitioner, an EFT practitioner. EFT is something Erasmus and I explore as well, and we incorporate it into our work a little bit. I'd love for you to just um, give us a brief overview of of the power and the benefits of of EFT, if you don't mind. Well, the power of the the benefits of EFT first, I started learning about in 2014 when I was in my periods of just like opening myself to all of what I was feeling, unnumbing myself, if I'm going to put it this way. Um, So I started getting into the world of EFT and learning about it and really learning how to work with the, the, the systems of energy of my body as well. And something that is really powerful, in my opinion, is there is this awareness within the body, a consciousness within ourselves that is actually working with us continuously. A powerful consciousness within ourselves, within our DNA, that we are actually talking to when we are practicing EFT. Mm. And that awareness wants to support you. It wants to work with you. It wants to discharge your you know, I want to say your nervous system from all the density that you've been carrying. So very often after the inquiry, the way I've been using EFT lately with people is just to get them to deepen safety. We can happen to be tremendously challenged by doing when we do shadow work. We can happen to be tremendously challenged. And I'm, I'm going to take an example. Let's say you go through a shadow inquiry. And you find out, wow, there is this part within me that has never been able to process properly the shame that I felt in the playground growing up through all the bullying. And I learned how to repress and power through. I created this persona, but I have this kind of like, let's suppose that you've been feeling this kind of back pain and through being just stepping into the pain, just feeling into it somatically. You just started tracing it to this younger awareness within yourself that has been holding on to so much shame from childhood. Very often, I would just get people through the practice of EFT just to create beautiful safety affirmations around all of that as they are tapping. Combining these safety affirmations with tapping. And there are the meridians around the body. You know, there are some that are um depending on your school of training some some schools use certain meridians to, on top of the head you know eyebrow side of the eye under the eye you know under the nose the chin and collarbone and all of these different things and you're going to find other schools that will just tap around the heart you know just some different schools will just tap around the heart as you get in tune with the body This is really you engaging the body in the process. It is safe for me to approach that pain. It is safe for me to approach that repressed pain. It is safe for me to learn how to be present with it. It is safe for me to embrace it even more. 
it is safe for me to become more intimate with that younger part of me that I didn't know how to be intimate with. It is safe for me to come closer to that part of me that I abandoned. It is safe for me to learn how to be with this shame. It is safe for me to hold a beautiful space for this shame to actually be released. You can do that when you, you know, you can do that as you tap around the whole mm -hmm. meridian system or just tapping around your heart. This is a simple, very simple practice that can already get your body to soften as you approach these rep that repressed pain. It is safe for me to be here, just here. Yeah. It is safe for me to approach it even more. It is safe for me to deepen my breath right here. It is safe for me to let it rise even more. And as it rises, it is safe for me to stay connected. It is safe for me to remain open. It is safe for me to let my heart remain open. Those are different ways, just as you keep tapping. Either you go around, and uh, for people who would like to learn more about EFT, you can just um, search meridians or you know tapping points you're going to find different tapping points but it's really the intent that is carried through your words and in my opinion one of the beautiful um, things about um, emotional freedom technique it's it really leads you into this place of acceptance and often what I how I get people to often close it would be to tap and say even though I may still be challenged by this that by this part of me, I choose to love and accept myself. Even though I may still have a hard time embracing fully this repressed pain or this aspect of me, mm. I choose to, to love and accept myself. Even though I may still have a hard time forgiving myself, you know, I choose to be a little gentle, a little bit more gentle with myself. And these are ways that we can begin to actually actively engage the body into what we are actually doing. So that is a simple practice that for so many people can, it can create a whole lot of spaciousness. Yeah, I, I what I love about it is that it includes the body. It's not just, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm saying affirmations or I'm just saying affirmations. It's integrating yeah. the body and which brings me to this topic and I, I know we'll probably end a little short uh, in a little bit. But just the idea of shadow work, like how one, like you, you have to integrate the body. You have to include the body in shadow yeah. work, yeah. you know? So yeah. if anyone who, for me, anyone who talks about shadow work, but does not include the body, it's, it's just feels incomplete to me. It feels tremendously incomplete, you know? And, you know, I, this is something that is really beautiful that I started working on um, very recently, which is, Considering the body as the as the map and as the blueprint, a map of your light and also a map of your shadow. And I'm just gonna give you a you know perspective. Just think about every single energy center in the body. We often call them chakra. Within it, encoded a blueprint of your light, and within it also repressed information, repressed unconscious information. So we often, I, I, I often ask myself the question, we come here on this earth plane without a, a manual to operate consciousness. So how, this is, these are some of the questions that I would often ask myself. We, we demand 
from companies to give us a, a manual to operate the computers, the, the, the machines and everything that they give to us. And how come God forgot about the manual for the human body? It's just like, where do we learn all of this? And then I started asking myself, what if the blueprint was actually in the body? What if the blueprint was actually the body? What if the manual is actually the body? And what if the map is actually the body? So just like you said, diving into a process that, in my opinion, does not um, include the body feels quite incomplete at the moment to me. Building the false hierarchy between body, mind, and spirit, in my opinion, is also very limited. But seeing all of these as expressions of the same essence, it begins to open the door. Even the body starts saying, oh, now you see me. Yeah. Now you see me. Are you no longer seeing me just like flesh and bones? Now you start seeing the divine technology that I'm holding. And let's come, come to the table. Let's co-create together. So there is beautiful magic, in my opinion, that happens in that space. Yeah, well said. You know, and thinking about some of the masters from the past, you, you know, you brought up Jung before, or Wilhelm Reich too. I think there's a book called Jung and Reich, The Body as Shadow. And yeah. it's definitely part of my uh, my training is looking at the body as the shadow. And, you know, uh, it's just so important to, to become more intimate with your body, with the subtle sensations and the emotions and everything that we're talking about here. So, so important uh, in general, but especially with shadow work and to be yeah. able to sit with it and hold space with it. So, Xavier. Yeah. Final question. Yeah. Just go ahead. Um, okay. So you had the entire world of social media at your disposal. You could send out one message and every single social media on the planet, on the user on the planet would see your message. What would that single message be? Oof. <laughs> Very powerful question. What would that message be? You didn't come here to heal your humanness. You came here to love your humanness. You came here to love how to learn how to love all of your humanness, to embrace all of your humanness, to invite more of your soul into the experience of being human. You didn't come here to ascend. You came here to descend more fully. You came here to be here. You didn't come here to tap out of here. And yes, at times your experience caused you to feel so much pain that you wanted to disconnect. But it's time to connect right now. The earth needs you to connect. Your body needs you to connect. Your soul needs you to connect. You came here to be human and to love being human. That's something along these lines. Because a whole bunch of people, we want to cure as if we want to cure ourselves from our humanness. Yeah. As if we see our humanness as a disease. And it's not. You know, it's not. In my opinion, um, every time I sit in meditation, I just sometimes tune into even your soul just being overjoyed by the experience of being here, ex experiencing the duality of dark and light and being given the choice of in this moment, am I choosing love or am I, choosing, am I not choosing love? Which is a luxury that the soul doesn't have. 
I'm just inviting you to imagine a soul can only be love, can only be love. I can only experience and be love. That's all I can be. And it began, it, be, it started becoming so monotonous that I needed to create an experience so that I could give myself the choice, the free choice to be love or not to be love, to experience love or not to experience love. So you being human is the greatest gift that I could have given myself. So cherish it, enjoy it, love it. You know, that's that's what I would say. That's really, I mean, something along those lines. <laughs> um yeah i love it i man. wish i had a better message but that no, was, it's, no it's, it's amazing i think that was the ultimate message man i just i love i love the way you tune in and you tap in and you're able to free free flow your truth in in your moment to moment experience man it's such a beautiful thing it's been such a pleasure to connect over the past 90 minutes and get to know you on a deeper level before we go man if you, you, you got our audience here how can they get in touch with you um where, where can they find the gift that you're giving brother well, thank you so much for having me here. And I really want to say thank you to all of you, Joel. Thank you to you, Erasmus, or Erasmus as well. Um, and thank you for the, the, you know, the conversation that got created here. At the very least, my hope is that it gets people to think, mm, maybe I'm going to start sitting with my shadow and see what's available for me in there. And, um, you know, where people can find me, they can find me on my website, xavierdagba.com they can find me there they can find me on instagram um, they can find all my different offerings on my website as well and i really just want to thank you for you know um having me on your platform and um sharing together the message of i want to say inner alchemy that's mm -hmm. how i love to relate to it yeah thank you so much for having me yeah no definitely thank you it's definitely a pleasure and I, lo I love having these conversations and uh Really appreciate you, man. My pleasure. I echo that for sure. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. So many insights, so much knowledge, so many ways to deeper awareness of ourselves. And Xavier, thank you once again, and we'll see you all next time. Take care. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share that confusion. 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion.